uh, a couple from my home church uh, had given me a nice wooden plaque that has 1 Thessalonians 5.24 on it. And that verse says, as we will see, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Uh, and this passage has meant a lot to me. This verse has meant a lot to me over the, um, the past many, many years. Um, I've seen it play out time and time again, uh, first and foremost, just in my Christian life, and then also in gospel ministry. And I, I can't think of any better text to preach on this morning than this, these two verses in First Thessalonians. Uh, but this passage that we're going to see this morning, it's not, just, it's not a passage just about me. It's a passage about us. It's a passage that deals with the promises and the exhortations that we have been given. Individually, and also together as the local church. These are things that we are to hold on to. And this morning, we are going to look at the God who calls. The God who calls us. Specifically, I want us to just take a moment this morning to look at who exactly this God is that calls us to follow his son. And he calls us to do so wholeheartedly and unwaveringly. And we're going to look this morning at two conclusions that we must make concerning who God is. And then we're going to close by looking at an exhortation that we must live by in light of who God is. These are promises for us this morning. This morning, we're going to look at two realities of God from just these two verses. Number one, we're going to look at the reality that the God who calls us is faithful. And then we're going to look at the God who calls us promises to complete what he started in us. And then we're going to end by looking at our encouragement, our exhortation that the scriptures give us, and that is that God then calls us to cling to him every day of our Christian lives. So that's kind of the roadmap that we are going to look at this morning. And join me as we pray together. And I encourage you to pray along with me that God would just encourage your heart in himself. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just guide our look into your word. Father, it's not by our own might, it's not by our own power, but it's by your Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, uh, in my life, in my family's life. I thank you for your faithfulness in each one's life that I'm looking at this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the rich heritage of our church, your faithfulness in our church ever since its beginning in 1840. 
Uh, Lord, you are a great God. Uh, Lord, to you belongs all the glory. And I pray, God, that you would just remind us of these simple yet profound truths of who you are. It's those things, Lord, that we are so prone to forget because of all of the other things that that clutter our minds on a consistent basis. But Lord, would the Holy Spirit once again awaken us to these truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're going to truly get to know a person, if you're going to have a relationship with an individual, you must know them. In fact, even in a in a work relationship, the better you know your supervisor, your employer, the better you are able to f- perform your job. Now, you may say, Adam, that's in a perfect world. You don't know my situation. And maybe so. But we are called to know our God. And as we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 to 24, we're actually going to kind of flip these two verses. And we are going to start by looking at verse 24, and then we're going to conclude this morning by going to verse 23. In verse 24 is the simple yet profound verse. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And maybe this morning uh, you're kind of hit with this verse that is so powerful and yet so simple of how how can this eternal truth of God even be encapsulated in a sentence? And maybe this morning uh, this comes at you and it's just like cold water splashing off a wall because you have been so caught up with problems and issues and how you're going to solve these things that maybe you need to take another moment this morning to say, Lord, would you warm my heart to the truth that is before me today? This is, an, this is infinite omnipotent truth encapsulated in our English language in a simple sentence. You see, if we are going to follow the God who calls us, we have to realize, first of all, that the God who calls us is faithful. He's faithful. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. In order to truly realize the faithfulness of God, we must trust his character. What this verse is saying to us is that the very character of God is faithfulness. Now, in our character, in our personalities, and in, in, in our character, we are loving some of the time, not loving other times, we are faithful some of the time, not faithful some of the time. We are kind some of the time, not kind. Uh, our, 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 our character would be like a pie chart that's, that's kind of segmented into all of these different categories for the better or for the worse. 
God is not like that. God is 100% of every good characteristic there is. God is not 50% faithful, 40% loving, 10% good, yada, yada, yada. God is 100% every good character, characteristic that there is. God cannot be somehow dissected into partially this or partially that. God is 100% holy. God is, at the same time, 100% loving. God is 100% just. That is why, as we will see this morning, Jesus had to be our sacrifice in order for us to have a relationship with him, because for God to somehow overlook sin, he would be negating his holiness, his justice. But God is 100% just and holy, while at the same time 100% merciful, because Jesus has taken all of that justice upon himself. And he paid for our sins. Well, while there's so many characteristics of God we could talk about, we're focusing in on faithfulness. God is 100% faithful 100% of the time. Do you believe that to be true? I didn't say that you can understand 100% of the time what God is doing in your life I didn't say that you are able to interpret that faithfulness 100% of the time to be faithful according to your own understanding, but his character, because he is 100% faithful, he must be, he has to be 100% faithful 100% of the time. Think of all of the unfaithfulness that the children of Israel displayed in the wilderness. And man, we can't be too judgmental of of the children of Israel in the wilderness when we look at our own lives. Moses was about to pass off the scene. And and God, God gives Moses a song that the children of Israel were to learn. We learn new songs here. Imagine God himself saying, this is the song that you are to learn. It is to serve as a witness to you. And God knew uh, when they went off in apostasy, it would also be a song of their own judgment. In Deuteronomy 32, it records this song. And part of the words of this song, this is God's self-described character, says, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of, and there we have that word, faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is, again, the character of our God. If God would somehow let you or I slip through the cracks, God would no longer be true to himself. God would cease to be faithful. 
Isn't it interesting how we can often accuse God of things like, God, you're just not good to me. You are not being faithful. God, you are not being fair. We can accuse God of these things without even realizing what we're claiming. It's almost like, you know, if you, you have children, your three-year-old tells you, you are such a mean dad or a mean mom because you didn't take me to get ice cream. And in that limited mindset, that, that small, finite understanding that is encapsulated in a three-year-old is saying that with 100% confidence. You are mean. You're being mean. Now, does that determine truth? Is somehow truth now based on that three-year-old finite understanding? Absolutely not. And it's the same thing that is true of us. We are not the determiner of who God is. We are not the determiner of what faithfulness looks like. Man, aren't we committing the greatest of idolatry sins when we require God to meet our understanding rather than vice versa? God is faithful. Faithful, he who calls you is faithful. Now, if, if I said to my children, I am a good dad. You guys are so lucky to have me as a dad. I mean, look at all those other dads out there. I am a good dad. And, and all I ever did was say that. My kids probably wouldn't be convinced that I'm a good dad. You'll have to ask them if, if they are convinced that I'm a good dad. But how does God give us the assurance that he is indeed faithful? Because if it was just words, then it wouldn't mean that much. Well, you see, God has shown us his faithfulness, not just by self-description, but God has shown us his faithfulness by his own actions. Again, Going to Deuteronomy, these are sort of bookends in Deuteronomy. Look at God's action to the children of Israel. This is really small print, um, so listen along, or you can turn to Deuteronomy if you would like. But look at what this says. God says this to the children of Israel. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So they saw his actions and then look at what God says. No, or uh, look what uh, Moses says here. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You see, we know 
that God is faithful not only because of the very words of God that we have in Scripture that testify God is faithful like what our verse says, but we see God in action. We see God in action through his word, that this is how God has worked in the past with his people. We see God's faithfulness in our own lives, that he is the rock that we can run to, that we can cling to. We know ultimately of God's faithfulness how, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What more could our faithful Father do to assure us of his faithfulness. The greatest thing that could ever be done, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What more could be done? How we could go to scripture after scripture this morning, but we won't. Psalm 136, 26 verses in Psalm 136, 26 times It says his steadfast love endures forever. That's faithfulness. See, we can trust God's character. He is 100% faithful 100% of the time. And you know what reality is? That God continues to be faithful despite our unfaithfulness. There was only one son of God who was ever faithful 100% of the time, and that was Jesus the Son to God the Father. None of us can claim absolute faithfulness to him. How time and time again in my life, and I know time and time again in your life, you can pinpoint with great description how you have been unfaithful to God in the past. And you know what 2 Timothy 2.13 says? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Wow. God is faithful despite our unfaithfulness. You know what the character of God looks like, his faithfulness? It shows us and it points us to the reality that also God is faithful despite opposition. Wouldn't it be nice if we were in a little vacuum of a a happy house? I I just came up with that term. And we're just all smiling and life is grand and there's no issues. And we can just sit back and put our, our feet on the coffee table and say, Isn't God faithful? Life is so grand. But we are surrounded by opposition. We have an experience internal opposition. And yet God is faithful despite all opposition. Think of inward opposition. We so oftentimes trust our feelings. We so oftentimes have misplaced hopes. We so often, we have uh, sinful struggles that trips us up time and time again. We have character flaws. We have weaknesses like we talked about last week. 
There's pride that keeps rearing its ugly head in our hearts. We are arrogant so many times. We have fears that cause us to cower away from God. We haven't even talked about living in a broken world yet. Man, we have so many internal oppositions within ourselves that if God wasn't going to be faithful to us, God would have every right to not be faithful just by seeing what's inside of us. But then when you add to that inward opposition, outward opposition, in fact, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and, and we need to um, move on, so I'm not going to turn to these passages, but the book of 1 Thessalonians, if we were to, to, to just summarize it really quick, it would be, that these believers were exercising great love and great faith and service for God in the midst of great affliction. This was a newer church that was planted and formed, and yet they were undergoing great opposition. In chapter 1 and verse 6, it says that they received the gospel with much, with much affliction, yet joy. In chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says to this church, you have suffered just like the Jerusalem church. Paul tells them that in our bringing the gospel to you, we were suffering afflictions. This was a church that was going through difficulty, yet their eyes were in the right place. The character of God and the truth of the gospel. You see, we do not need to only say we can rest in God when we feel rest from all opposition. That would be limiting God to be a God of human means and a God of human strength. No matter what the opposition is, outwardly or inwardly, we can rest in Him. And as we look at God's faithful character, we also see that God will be faithful to the end. We're going to talk more about this, but I just want to bring your attention to the faithfulness of God even at the very end of the story. Revelation. You want to know how Jesus is described in Revelation 19 as he is going to, to come and he is going to exact justice on the earth. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called, what is his name? Say it. Faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Isn't it so interesting in a book of suffering where God's people are suffering and saying, how long, O Lord, till you come judge the earth, that Jesus is described even at the very end of Scripture as faithful and true. In other words, everything that he says is going to come to pass. Every promise that we read in Scripture is going to come to pass. Not one jot or one tittle is going to slip through the cracks. This is your faithful God. We have to trust his character. The God who calls is faithful. 
But you know what else we have to trust? Is we must trust his plan. Because many times his plan and our plan don't quite jive. In fact, that beginning verse says, He who calls you is faithful. Calling involves, and and inherent in the word calling is a plan. And you may ask yourself, Pastor Adam, what is God's call? What is he calling me to? And we're going to talk more about this in verse 23. But I want to give you two generalized description of God's call for you and for me. And then we're going to look at the specifics of that in verse 23. What is, it, what is encapsulated in God's call? Two things. God calls us to himself in relationship. And God calls us to good works in service to him. Now this, what I'm talking about here is not like a contract, you know, where, where uh, all of a sudden there's all this fine print. Or an ad where there's this fine print. What we are talking about is not God saying, I have done all of this for you, you get saved, and then everything's up to you. Now go work. No, that's not what we're talking about. But God's call for us is encapsulated in these two things. He calls us to relationship with himself, and he calls us in service to him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Really, verses 2 to 5, I'm just going to read verses 4 to 5 if you flip over a page or two. He says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. That's parallel there with the idea of God calling you. He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Basically, Paul is saying, we know that God has chosen you because when we declared the gospel where other people rejected it, you received it. It was God who caused you to receive it. That is God's call to relationship. God calls us to salvation. To, he takes the initiative to engage us in relationship. And then we see that God calls us to good works. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so are our good works about ourselves or is it once again about God carrying out his plan in our lives you see this calling is all encompassing from start to finish This is God's calling. This is God's plan for us. He brings us into relationship with him, and out of the fullness of that relationship, we serve. We cannot get this in reverse order. We cannot find our identity in our service. 
We cannot find our, ident- our identity in our idea of good works. I'll tell you, the greatest thing that has carried me through 15 years of ministry is seeking to not reverse this order. That I am first and foremost a child of God before I ever am a pastor. Roughly around 1984 or so, um, God called me to himself in salvation just as a little boy. Uh, In a high school chapel message in 1994, I felt God's call to serve him in ministry. But that second calling does not oversee that first calling. Serving the Lord by being a pastor is simply, has been God's revealed plan of some of the good works that he has prepared beforehand for me to walk in. But that's only a little part of it. You see, God is doing a sanctifying work. We're going to talk about sanctification through the good works that he has called me to do. Being a pastor is one of God's means of sanctifying me to be more like Christ. It's not an end in itself. And whatever good works that God has planned for you, first of all, know that those good works are according to his plan, not your own trying to measure up or earn any favor with God. The things you're doing and many times you can even spin your wheels with, maybe the reason you're getting burned out or spinning your wheels is somehow you've forgotten this verse and you have started to put these good works as if somehow you are the producer of them. And you've gotten off of what exactly has God called you to do. You see, God's plan is that through everything, through our service to him, through our parenting, through our marriage, through everything, it all goes back to God seeking to grow us in our relationship with him, to make himself bigger and ourselves smaller. It is about him from start to finish. And that leads us to the second truth. The God who calls us is a God who is faithful. And secondly, the God who calls us is a God who will complete the work that he started. Isn't that what the text says? He will surely do it. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say if you're good enough. No, if you have been redeemed by Jesus, if his Holy Spirit is within you and it is doing a, he is doing a work in your life, he is going to complete what he has called you to. And again, this is more than God has called me to this here on earth. God has called me to that. No, this is an eternal calling. This is a sure promise. The text doesn't say how he will complete the work, but the text says he will. I wish the text said how. That would maybe save us from a lot of anxiety, right? 
but it doesn't. In fact, I always think of, of, of Moses on the mountain, and, and years ago we did a series in Exodus, and, and Moses says, God, how do I know you are going to deliver the people from Egypt? The last thing he wants to do is go into Egypt. You know what God tells him? He says, Moses, this is how you'll know. You will once again worship me on this mountain. Now, if I was Moses, I'd be like, God, you've got to give me something better than that. You basically went from start to finish, and you left out all the in-between. And you know why? Because that's where God wants to daily meet us, in the in-between. He's given us the end of the story that we know all will be made right. Jesus is coming again. He's given us the beginning of the story that, man, before eternity, he has called us to himself. He has given us his son. Well, we know that, that if we place our faith in him, we are believers. We know the beginning of the story, but it's in the everyday in between that he wants to meet us. Day after day after day. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, Mike read these passages, looking not to ourselves, to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The next time you start to doubt, to be anxious, remind yourself who it is that does the completing. It is God. It is God in his timing. It is God in his way. And it is God according to his purposes. The question is, are we going to take this sure promise? He will surely do it. Are we going to take it from a promise to a personal conviction in our lives. In other words, a promise is, yes, God said he will do this. A personal conviction is God is doing this right now in my life. And I am going to live confidently in him. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live, it's all about him. It's how he is going to prove himself faithful to me time and time again. Well, our time is about done, so I'm going to quickly go now from this promise of verse 24 to I'm going to show you while still not as specific as we would like, the playing out of this calling that God gives us in our life, and it's found in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, from this verse we see that we are called to cling to God as the one who calls us. He will sanctify us. This sanctification, it's a completed act, yet it's also a progressive act. That 
When God called us to himself, he has set us apart to himself. That's what sanctify means, to be set apart to God. It's a one-time act. In fact, it's the God of peace that has done this. We have peace with God now because we have been set apart to him. But at the same time, this is a progressive act that we are called to grow to be more and more like Christ, like like the one who has set us apart. In fact, earlier in the book, in chapter 4, Paul says, this is your sanctification that you abstain from fornication. There was a struggle going on there in Thessalonica. And he says, show, prove that you are set apart by God by not living like the world. We're being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. But yet, even this at the end of the day is not totally dependent on us because the prayer is, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Left to ourselves, we would never be completely sanctified. We're completely dependent on Jesus. And then we see it also says in verse 23, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to preserve us. The one who started the good work is going to finish. We are not somehow going to be lost along the way. That word keep is used, it's almost, it's a military term of guarding someone in custody. Paul was guarded or kept by the prison guards. God is keeping us safe. The work of Christ on our behalf, no matter how dirty and grimy life gets, Jesus' blood conquers all. And it's in Him that we are found blameless. Amen? So as we conclude today, we can live diligently and confidently in these truths. The God who calls is faithful. The God who calls will complete the work he started. So let us afresh today cling to this God who calls us.